SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Hey! I really want to hear this story. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt bradley Shergy. With me is William Thrasher. This is blasphemy, so saith the flock. If you thought the night before was funny, wait till you see the next day. We're talking about Porky's 2, The Next Day, released in 1983, directed by Bob Clark, produced by Don Carmody, Bob Clark, written by Roger Swaybill, Alan Ormsby, and Bob Clark. Um, starring pretty much the, a lot of the same people from the first film and a uh, Native American actor, Joseph Running Fox, in a major part. Uh, music by Carl Zittrer, cinematography Reginald H. Morris, edited by Stan Cole. Um, came out in 83, as I mentioned, uh, off a budget of $7 million. This made um, $33.7 million in domestic box office. So while that's still quite a healthy profit, uh, the original Porky's made $100 million. Um, so this one was less successful, but with that domestic box office, meaning the U.S. and Canada, where do you think that falls? Uh, let's say 11th. 21st. Okay. So not bad. You know, so above things like Twilight Zone, the movie. and uh, Really? A re-ish- yes. Uh, and um, The Right Stuff and Cujo. And, uh, but below things like Psycho 2, uh, Yentl, Jaws 3D. Superman 3, and uh, for context, the top three films of 83 were Return of the Jedi, Terms of Endearment, and Flashdance. Oh, wow. But, okay, so let's talk about this. The, the Porky's 2, The Next Day. Not only is that a brilliant, like, title convention that I'm shocked never caught on, it's like, especially when compared to things like Electric Boogaloo, but... That's a great way to do a sequel. Uh, and, and what amazed me about this is that it, it's good to its word. It begins the dawn of the day after all the stuff we saw in the first Porky's. And and, I, and the whole time I was thinking, oh, well, clearly in real life, if you had done what that whole town did, there would be serious repercussions. None of those repercussions manifest in this film. <laughs> no, and, and, and you think it would be a... Uh... There'd be maybe a court case for all their criminal mischief, even though they had the police sort of protecting them at the end. Uh, I don't know. And um, well, the other thing is they raise the stakes in a number of ways. Like the fir- the first film, you know, they they take on one anti semite. This movie, they take on an entire local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, and, and yet. Um, you know, despite the fact Porky's is in the title, the character of Porky is not in here, which I think is a missed opportunity. Uh, and, and also, you got to figure, when this came out in 83, not a lot of people had VCRs or Betamax players in their houses. The, the videotapes were 
usually around a hundred bucks or, or more, or and only sold to rental places. And because of that, you know, just just like movies like Star Trek Three, the beginning of this opens with a recap of the previous film. And that made me really nervous. And I realize you probably want some sort of recap, especially since it is literally the next day. But I am very nervous whenever a movie shows me clips of another movie. But instead, yeah. you get kind of a neat highlight reel, and then and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It just hits all the major beats of the first film uh, so that you have context for everything in this film, and then, boom, there it goes. But, but I think a problem is you remember, with the, especially you see these highlights back to back to back, uh, the best part of the first film. You're like, wow, Porky's 2 has a lot to live up to. And uh, I don't know if I would have thought so had such fresh thoughts in my head about the first film without that recap in the beginning and i i don't think it's necessary even though this is the next day and they reference some stuff in the first film uh the the way this plot works is in in some ways a remake of the first film but it's such a, a hard left turn well it's a weird like it's all like slice of life stuff like the first film that eventually comes back around to strangely enough two climactic set pieces that run in parallel to each other um yes and then there's also i, I think sort of a i think there's actually three cuz there's the the graveyard the toilet and the uh well those aren't climactic set pieces no, no i guess not those are earlier in the film but I guess I, when going into this, I did not know I would be using such vaunted language to describe Porky's 2 the next day. And you recall a film in the original Porky's where um, the character that is uh, Jewish, you know, gets into a fist fight with someone. And this one really kind of continues the anti, uh, you know, the anti-racism, anti- uh, Prejudice. Prejudice, thank you. It's still a bit early over here. Yeah, prejudice um, of the characters. And it's, you know, mostly the same cast, and they still have a good chemistry, even though they look even a bit older than they did in the first. I mean, that these that these people are high school students really stretches uh, belief. Well, it helps that in the first movie, they they also looked a little bit too old. So it makes the transition mm-hmm. work. Uh, yeah, it's not like it's a five-year gap or something where, where people really grow a lot. Um and there's a weird focus on, on drama club and, and Shakespeare things. And, you know, it, it brought back some fond memories. I don't know about you, Thrasher, but I did drama club in high school. Uh, I I was never in drama club, but I was in band, and there are a lot of parallels. Uh, so I, I yes. certainly could, could feel where this was coming from. And one thing I noticed about this, when we see all the stuff that the drama the drama department is doing, it looks so good and so well-funded and in my mind, I can't tell, Is it? does it look like that because this is a movie, we have to make it look impressive, or does it look like that because this movie takes place in an era where schools were well-funded enough that you could have a drama department that has really impressive lighting and sets and fog machines? I, I agree, especially the, the painting for the backdrops of the sets. Uh... You know, high contrast, uh, a lot of shadows, quite striking. The costumes were okay. The costumes looked a bit rinky-dink. That's more what I would expect out of a high school uh, production. And um, is it still taking place in 1954? Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, the next. Unless, of course, it was like January 31st was the previous film. 
Sure, and um, you know, I think about my, my my drama program. We never put on a Shakespeare play. Surprisingly, I, t- I did take a an advanced Shakespeare class. Um, that was more like a literature sort of class, but never did we do a Shakespeare play. I'm not sure why that is, but in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, uh, around where I went to high school, there. Uh, oh, gee, I, I can't remember the the theater, but there was a theater that did exclusively Shakespeare plays. Mm. Um, have you ever seen Shakespeare on the stage? Or? Oh, plenty of times. Uh, and I was delighted that they they put so much emphasis on Midsummer Night's Dream uh, because that's when it comes down to it that that is my favorite Shakespeare play. I've seen it on the stage several times. I have a real fondness for Hamlet. Hamlet's probably more dramatically satisfying, but damned if I don't love a Midsummer Night's Dream. And they're not only doing Shakespeare in this movie; they're doing apparently like a show that's just like a highlight reel. <laughs> of all these memorable scenes. In some way, it foretells the, uh, the the popular kind of comedic review, the complete William Shakespeare. Yeah. I uh, guess I guess what it is is like no matter what your exposure to Shakespeare, they hit so many of the the highlights that you will recognize something uh, in this drama department. It's like seeing a, a comedy movie that's just sketches, right? If you hate one sketch, you're bound to find one that you like, or the, if the one that you hate is going to end soon enough. What was and, it? But, what Bill Hader said about the the best episode of SNL is, is three sketches you love and one sketch you hate. Um, I, I think that's being a bit generous on Bill Hader's part, but I, I see what he means. Like it's, it's. Uh, oh, who was it? I think some um, some. Some actor that was on SNL was trying to make the argument to Lauren Michaels, why does Saturday Night Live have to be live? The audience doesn't really care that it's live. You make a lot more mistakes when it's live. Look at SCTV. They weren't live. All their stuff was pre-taped. Their stuff is more polished. Um, and yet, watching you know, kind of the mistakes for SNL, I think, is part of what makes that show fun. You see... Uh, especially actors like Jimmy Fallon or something would laugh up, would laugh during sketches, or people would flub over their lines, or they'd be standing in the wrong place and the camera's not on them. Um, and like as of this recording, they had a huge uh, flub on their season premiere this year for the 45th season, where they cut back to a they they cut from a graphic to a sketch, and there is a wardrobe or there's somebody from wardrobe on stage adjusting someone's costume and then quickly running off, and everyone hmm. starts to break. Right. Um, well, except except for uh, except for Keenan Thompson, that man is a professional. You cannot break him. I'm surprised he's still on the show. I think he might be close to like Tim Meadows or something as as far as cast members being on the longest. I believe he beat Tim Meadows two years ago. Uh, th- that very well could be the case. And I see he has a sitcom this year, which is usually a sign people are on the way out. And uh, I'll touch on something on SNL really quick, then I'll get back to Porky's <laughs> 2 the next day. Did you follow the brouhaha about the, uh, the cast member uh, being hired and then fired before the premiere episode? Yeah, that all, all took place like within a week, didn't it? Quite quickly, yes. And it was, uh, I think, sort of historical in some sense, because it's a comedian being fired from SNL before he, he's he's officially on a show, but also because of a podcast. Not ours, however. Uh, no, 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 not our <laughs> podcast. But here's in a podcast, and I, 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 did you watch the clip? I did, and I, I think it was... I, I didn't. Like, he, oh. it's, he's... I'm not going to see him on. I'm not going to see him on the show. I'm not interested in hearing his ramblings. You know. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's interesting that they they acted so 
quickly, but this this comedian's response was like, "I'm more of a Mad TV guy anyway." It was kind of lame. That's oh, I that's that's that is uh, that is uh, shooting yourself in the dick to spite your face. I think with that comment, yes, and you know that guy's going to be fine. He's going to have a stand up career and then be known as oh, I'm the guy that's too hot for SNL or whatever. So. Oh God! I guess the sad thing is, you're probably right. He's probably going to parlay this into a weird, a weird career, and then in ten years, we're going to see him uh, in another remake of Death Wish, talking into a microphone as a local radio DJ. I yes, I could see that. Um, anyhow, Porky's two the next day. Uh, so I mean, you have. A whole lot about the the kids are in, in the Shakespeare class and they're laughing because certain characters are dressed up as a fairy or, or their face is painted green. And uh, what what struck me as kind of weird about that is, especially if you're knee deep in a theater program, you don't care if you look weird or whatever. Everyone has makeup on. Like it's kind of the great uh, e- equalizer, so to speak. Yeah, I'm, that's one thing I'm trying to sort of figure out. Is it is that throughout, gradually turns out. Every principal character except Wendy is in this this drama department, but I don't understand why, except for Pee Wee, whose mother is the drama teacher at the school. So I'm sure she can use him to she she can kind of force him into any play. It, I don't know why so many people are involved, but I do like how they all sort of come to love the theater. Like with like with Meat, like was I guess Meat is playing Bottom the Weaver, which is why he's also playing Sisby, uh, so like there's two layers of acting going on there. <laughs> yeah, and that everyone is drafted, like, I'm not a guy that needs everything explained to me in the movies, but, but the, the hard shift of everyone, like, so hardcore in the drama department in this film took me, a, was a bitter pill to swallow. I'm like, what the hell is happening? Are they, did, did, is Porky's going to open up a second club and they fuck with that? Like, that's what I kind of assumed, that, you, know, you know, the plot would be. Instead, it's like, oh, we're putting on a show and the local uh, kind of, I mean, they didn't have televangelism at the time, but it's that same kind of personality type. Bubba Flavel comes and goes, you, Shakespeare is filth. You can't do this. Uh, that was something, and that's that's one of the really strong plot threads of the movie is that the tension between um, uh, between uh, the Reverend Bubba Flavel uh, and and his moral crusaders going uh, going against the drama department in Shakespeare, and it leads to some of the movie's best scenes. And one thing that I loved about this movie, and I think I loved it in part because in my own life I don't feel like this would ever happen. But that the school administration is totally on the side of the drama club. Um, having been involved in a number of student organizations uh, in in high school, I'm pretty sure that if something like this had happened uh, to one to any organization I was a member to, the school administration would have immediately caved. Yeah, yeah, it does. I haven't thought about this in a while, but when I was in the drama department, um, we would do a a play in the fall and a musical in the spring. Uh, cool, typically. right? And uh, for a musical, we would l- have loved to do like um, some. I hate to call this transgressive. I don't know what you call, it, but something a, a bit Rocky weirder. Horror. Uh, yeah, like Rocky Horror or uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Anything with horror in the title, really. And <laughs> our um, the, the you know the, the head of the theater, I think, would have been fine with it. But the they had to work with the head of the choir of the school uh, uh, chorus. Uh, 
to do the music part, and, and she flat out turned down a lot of things. Instead, what they did approve, and this is quite weird, is um, Gypsy, which is a musical about strippers, and that was considered fine for a high school to do, and we'd have <laughs> scenes with implied nudity and stuff. And I'm like, really? And then, but you can't do a, a you can't do kind of a fantasy musical about a couple going to a, a haunted castle with um, aliens that shoot lasers, or you know, which is basically the plot of Rocky Horror, um, <laughs> which we covered on sequel cast <laughs> uh, quite some time ago. Yes, uh, so I mean, it was it was just the and and and. Uh, Speaking of censorship, more to do with this movie, We um, this was the year, I think, after I graduated. My sister was still in there. They did kind of a thing. Instead of doing like Shakespeare uh, bits, they did kind of clips from different shows or whatever, highlights, right? And they did La Vie Bohème from Rent. However, the lyrics of that were sanitized to such a point where it was near unrecognizable. <laughs> and it's always my feeling if you do something on stage and you're going to have to censor it, just pick a different song. I would rather you do a different song than try and censor lyrics or leave out words. And so, spe- speaking of censorship, one scene, one of the best scenes in this movie, is when uh, when Flavel barges into the drama department's rehearsal, and the principal from the first film shows up, and. The rev the reverend is like quoting lines from Shakespeare that he believes are filthy or pornographic, and what does the principal do? He immediately turns around and starts quoting Bible verses that are filthy and pornographic, including a lot of highlights from the Song of Solomon, which I don't know if you've read that whole thing. That is a spicy collection of passages from the Old Testament. Now, next time I want to get all hot and bothered, I'll be sure to turn to the Song of Solomon. But yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I do love how they give the principal more to do in this, and the actor really seems to relish his scenes where he faces off against Bubba Flavel. Bubba Flavel is played by Bill Wiley, who does... It is a bit of a cartoonish performance, but it's sort of similar to Porky's. He is a large guy. He is a force of nature when he walks in the room, and you just can't look away from him. Um and he's played by Will, Bill Wiley, and and he's yeah. he's got this like you know over this overbearing Southern charm. I guess is the best way to to put it. Is as near as I can tell, I think he's one of those actors that always looked old because as near as I can tell, I think he's still alive. He is active on television up to 2016. That's quite, a, you know, it might be because of his hair and maybe the the size or something of him. Um, and that at the same time, you have this. You know, I mentioned how this plot in the movie is strange, and I'm not going to um, undo what I said, but, but there's some good things about it. You you have kind of a uh, someone who you think is on the student side, and it turns out he has alternate ambitions, which is the county commissioner, Gebhardt. Yeah, who initially seems... Yeah, he is totally on the student side. Uh, and I think initially he is on the student side, but he's so used to playing politics when the Reverend gets together 5,000 signatures and he thinks and says that, you know, we'll vote against you in the next election. Mm-hmm. Well, he completely caves to that, but in the guise of trying to stay on the student side, he turns into a total creep and asks the character uh, Wendy to uh, to to meet him, to meet him for dinner. And of course, the kids have figured him out at this point. And one of the other great plot threads is Wendy and the guys. They come up with this great elaborate revenge to ruin his political career. Right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, he's played by Edward Winter. When I saw the part, the first thing that came to mind is you know who else would have been great in that part? Bill Hartman. 
Oh my! No, it's the perfect smarmy Phil Hartman mm-hmm. role. It's he, he has the charm, but it's kind of fakey. And then when he has his heel turn, uh, it, it's both sort of predictable, but it makes it makes it come up into I think frankly more satisfying than what you see happen against Bubba Flavel and his crew. But let, let's you know go through this room properly chronologically. There's all the business with with the people. Doing, uh, you get the recap, and then they're doing the Shakespeare play, and, and Bubba comes says like, "Oh, you can't do this," and, and right away, it, as with any good drama, you have a conf- any good plot really, you have a conflict, right? Our heroes just want to put on a school play for the benefit of, of the community, and um, but it's considered uh, controversial, and uh, they, uh, you know, their the religious right, um, which includes. The uh, the the ballbreaker. Oh yeah, Co- Coach Ballbreaker is there, and I like that she even gets a little arc mm-hmm. uh, throughout this movie. She, she does. does. Yeah, it, it's it's strange at, at the risk of, of getting too out of sequence. So what, there's some pipe that's laid really early on that every day at five ten, Ballbreaker has a bathroom break. Um, and so I guess everyone's still at the school because they're doing all their extracurriculars. Um, that's laid in pretty early. So when Balberker joins this moral crusade against the drama department, Pee Wee and the guys they uh, get blueprints to the school, get a uh, get a, a rat snake, and run a rat snake up the drainage for the bathroom she's in, so that while she's in the restroom, a snake comes out. Uh, and there's some com- they give her some comical business in the bathroom because when she's there, she's singing that old black magic for some reason. <laughs> I guess they have the rights to it. But she is so terrified of the snake, she explodes out of the stall, ripping the door off the hinges, and runs through the gym screaming. And I think eventually, like, f- tackles Pee Wee and puts him in a headlock. She is in, it's it's weird. Like she's in such a panic. I started to feel bad for her, but then by the time it escalates to the headlock, it becomes comical again. It's one of those if you keep doing it long enough, the it becomes the funniest thing in the world. The way she reacts is uh, so realistic. It reminded me of Gene Wilder and the producers when he's having that panic attack. It it, it yes. really is. I mean, she um her her, her perform. I'd have to look up the actress's name. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, Nancy oh, that's Parsons. a Nancy Parsons. Nancy Parsons. Thank you. Um, it, it's such a committed performance in, uh, frankly, all three of these films that she's kind of the hidden secret weapon. You know, she's not the the bombshell. She is the butt of a lot of the jokes, and yet she has a kind of dignity about her. And um, and that 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 they give her more to do in this film, I, I think, was was a good choice. I I I don't want to. I hate to say something as simplistic as she's a bad guy because it's not quite it. She's a woman doing her job, and she's supposed to make sure the kids stay in line. Uh, well, well, she's an authority figure, uh, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like all. And she's kind of sort of neither good nor bad. She initially has that antagonistic position because she uh, because she's uh, she's a, she's the right hand woman of the reverend for a good chunk of this film until the film takes a turn. Um, uh, and the Ku Klux Klan shows up, and when the Klan comes out in support of the Reverend in banning Shakespeare, she has a change of heart. She's like, well, if these are our allies, maybe we're in the wrong. And she comes around, which which I really like. She and the students don't reconcile, but I like that she has enough moral character that she leaves the Reverend because of the uh, the company that he keeps and the people that he's bringing into his crusade. And it is really true... Um 
in the South, where both you and I, Thrasher, are, are from, there, there is something to the culture where everyone has sort of a smile and can charm the pants off of anyone, but they might, you know, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness, and they might be saying something, but meaning really thinking something else and talk behind your back. And well, I'm not you, saying, like, all Southern people are pieces of shit, but it's... Enough are that it makes it hard for everybody. <laughs> right. You have to, like, take everything with a great assault, I think, is a healthy attitude. What's if you've if you've ever heard like comments about oh well bless your heart yeah like, that that's something that sounds nice but what that really means <laughs> is just like <laughs> it's it's the it's the gentle ladies fuck you <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh, in fact my uh, grandma on my dad's side of the family said after she got married oh I don't know in the the, the late forties or something uh, <laughs> my my grandpa sent her to charm school and, and they said well what is that what do they teach you at charm school? And she said, well, and, and they taught you to say thank you instead of fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's, it really is quite something. Um, and that you have all this stuff going on, I think all the conflict, it really does set up the plot quite well. But then at the same time, you, you have um, kind of similar scenes from that first one where people are out kind of on the quad in front of the school and they talk about wanting to get revenge on the people that did the gag in the first film with uh, the people taking their clothes off, right, in, in the house. Oh, in the shack where they're supposed in, in to the get shack. to meet the prostitute. Yeah, where and... they're supposed to be with the prostitute. And that, I think, is is not set up quite as well. Well, it's it's really strange because, like, Pee Wee, again, is, like, sort of setting himself up as a, as, as a pimp. And... And I'm kind of—it's one of those things where I'm kind of shocked it works twice because he's like, "Oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get us I'm gonna get us a girl." And there's a carnival in town, and he can, he has this like crazy cock and bull story about how there's like a a, a horny librarian, and so there's a uh, there's a uh, a stripper who performs at the uh, at the carnival, which that used to be a thing. Uh, the carnivals and roadshows and midways used to have these like secret men's. Well, I don't know if like really secret's the right word, but these men's only, adults only act that used to be a big part of the American carnival scene before it kind of became classic Americana and got turned into the realm of family entertainment. But he makes an arrangement with her that she's going to pretend to be this librarian uh, and uh, is going to. He has his own prank he wants to do using her as bait, but um, the other guys catch wind of it, so they meet her shortly afterwards and pay her even more money to sabotage the prank so they can turn it around on Pee Wee. And the whole setup is they're going to be given this librarian a lift, but she gets horny around graveyards, so they're going to Pee Wee's going to stop at the graveyard to lay flowers on his grandfather's grave, and it is a horror movie graveyard. Like it, it is right out of an early Universal horror movie. Um, it is everything except a hunchbacked grave digger. Uh, however, a friend of his is in shockingly good zombie makeup. This is a very well funded. Uh, uh, drama department mm-hmm. is going to be hiding in a shallow grave that they dug, and the idea is he's going to use her as bait to get the guys naked, and the zombies are going to come out and scare everybody. But since the prank's been sabotaged, what the prank is is Pee Wee starts getting naked. Um, the uh, the stripper goes for him, pretends to have a heart attack, and die. The other guys start like 
start telling Pee-wee that, oh no, you're the one who'll be held responsible. Uh, you know, you, you died, she died in your arms. Uh, and then, and I didn't know this was, you don't find out this is part of the prank till later, these two rednecks come out going, look, it's them grave robbers again! And start shooting at them with live ammo. Uh, turns out they're on the prank too. That was another layer to the prank that uh, we were not, uh, that we were not told about. I, I think it's a good uh, flip on expectations. I think the gag could use a little something extra at the end. I'm not sure what it is. It felt like it was missing something to me. And- well, it turns into a callback because all the guys uh, and the woman, they run out of the cemetery, leaving Pee-wee naked. Pee-wee's chasing after him. We then cut to the two cops from the first movie, and they're like, huh, do you remember what happened the last time we were patrolling this road? And then a naked Pee-wee comes running by, just like in the first film. The more I think about Porky's 2, the more I'm reminded of uh, another sequel that's not so good, uh, Airplane 2, in that I think with with sequels around this time in the late 70s, early 80s, they're just less ambitious. They they feel like they have to redo a lot of the same beats from the first film and make a lot of explicit references as opposed to, and I don't think these movies are all that great either. We covered them on the show, but like with the Hanover movies, it's more of a continuing narrative. Yeah, I mean, this This is just, because this is the next day, it almost makes me think, well, is this what every day in their life is like? <laughs> Do they have another series of escalating pranks and conflicts the day before the first Porky's? Would it continue every day after? Do you think at, at any point a network was pitched Porky's, the animated series? I don't know if they were pitched the animated series, but I can gar- I can promise you there was a TV series pitched at some point. Um, speaking of which, you mentioned, I think, last episode for me to look, uh, try to look up the extremely rare remake of Porky's 1. Oh, yes! Yeah, that, been, that big it, pimpin' one. Yes, I've been unable to find it, or at least for a price that I'm willing to pay, so we won't be covering that. But I, I did see a quick clip of it on YouTube, and it's quite odd. It is the plot of Porky's 1, but it's set in contemporary day, uh, which makes it seem, uh, it, it just doesn't quite match up. It's like American Pie was hot. Let's redo Porky's. I think they were trying to do it. It was like kind of a rights issue thing. And around the same oh, it time, had to be. Around the same time, Howard Stern was wanting to do a remake of Porky's, um, which who knows what that would have been like. But uh, probably would have started hey, Artie Lange or something. But but hey, listeners, if you can secure a copy of Porky's Pimpin' Pee Wee, the 2009 pseudo remake, pseudo sequel to Porky's, if you can get us copies of that, we will totally review it on this show. Absolutely. And looking into the history of that, you know, it was only like streaming only on DirecTV or something for a very short window. Never got <laughs> just a, long enough. Right. Yeah. Never officially got a video release. Uh, I think what I've seen on YouTube is just someone using their their phone filming their television or something. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's really a weird outlier, and maybe maybe we'll see it on the Disney Plus service. The way things work out, I have no idea because Porky's is a Fox film. So, so a scene that had a surprising amount of sensitivity that I was not expecting. So the character Wendy played by Khaki Hunter mm-hmm. really gets her due in this film. So we know the the end of the previous film, she and Pee Wee had sex. Yeah. So in this film, there's a whole, there, there's a, there's a whole thing where she is portrayed uh, as they say in this movie uh, as, as a doorknob, everyone gets a turn. Um, but there's this great scene where, 
she and Pee-wee are talking to each other, and she's explaining to him that all the stuff he knows about her, it's just rumor. And that she's only ever been with three guys, and he's the third. And like that's the way she says, I do it every, t- every time I want to. And I've wanted to do it three times. And there's this really neat scene where she talks about her sexual history and how those rumors get spread. And even Pee-wee realizes that he's in part responsible because when guys get talking and they want to seem big, they start making up women that they've, that they've had sex with. It's a really neat scene, and they're, they're – their relationship builds in that scene, although I wish it continued to build throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, I think as performances go, Khaki Hunter as Wendy is one of the stronger ones uh, throughout this whole series. And it, you're right, there's a sensitivity to that scene, there's an honesty to that scene, and that uh, this character is not, um, as in a lot of these films, you know, kind of embarrassed that she had sex or forced to have sex in these awkward scenario she was in charge of her sexual uh, uh destiny so to speak right it was decisions she made and she was comfortable with with who she chose to sleep with at whatever yeah. times uh and it also kind of hearing that i think it, it kind of strengthens their relationship and Pee-wee, uh is infatuated with her even more and it would have been nice to have more of those scenes but i don't i don't think uh porky's is is that kind of movie for better or for worse although that that being said uh her revenge plan against the crooked city councilman she immediately becomes this this perfect vessel for physical comedy it yeah. is amazing it's it she, well, she's well, let's so go into that good. because they, they cross cut this plot with the a plot really reminiscent of um, that one character getting beat up in that first film, where in, oh, in this yeah. one you have the Native American... Um, John Henry. Thank you, John Henry, uh, getting beat up, going to play, um, I think, Romeo in this Romeo and Juliet pastiche and part of the Shakespeare Festival at the school. And they're like, oh, you, you can't have a, a person... I don't know if they say colored person or how they phrase it, but... Well, well let's, just, let's just put it this way. The, the racists in this movie are really racist, mm-hmm. and so you get some slurs thrown around. Yeah. Uh, so whatever you're imagining in your head, yes, that's what they call them. Or it might even be worse. Uh, well, there there is, because there's a scene where they, they list all the people they don't want mm-hmm. uh, kissing white women, and you, you hear all the... The worst, the worst terms. Um, but yeah, so he's he's going to be in this romantic scene, uh, and there's this bit where you don't you don't really know what's happening because all you see is this stage that they've set up backlit, and there's like a there's like a, a a body hanging on a rope that somebody's setting up, and this I think is actually a, a mister like a misdirect because the way it's set up you almost think oh is this he you hear him mumbling about how oh this is going to scare him and you wonder oh is this one of the guys setting up a prank it's not uh, it's one of the members of the clan has broken into the stage and has rigged up an effigy of uh, John Henry on a noose and it's rigged and so when the drama club shows up and they start gathering on the stage the the effigy falls down and it's a it's a pretty horrific pretty jarring scene and the guy like you see the guy running away in the background and that's another one of those things where it's like people refusing to cave where where peewee's mom the drama teacher is like you know the uh john i cannot exp- i cannot expect you to stay in this play whether you are in the play or out of the play is your choice but i really want you in this play and i like that the community comes together uh, in the defense of john henry 
But this does escalate because there's a later scene where they're they were going to meet John Henry to pick him up, I guess for for a late night rehearsal or something. And he's out there. Uh, it's established that he's uh, part of the the Seminole Nation, and they drive to where they're going to pick him up. And there's all these other Seminoles out there nursing John back to health because the shit's been beat out of him, and the clan is thrown up, uh, thrown up a cross, a burning cross. And we even see this whole thing is being watched by two members of the clan and one of them uh is uh the reverend because we hear his voice in the truck right and so i mean while this is going on they um so i mean what part do you want to tackle first there's the two revenge um scenarios going on where they cross cut between the two there's the one with uh, Commissioner Gephardt, and there's the one against the Ku Klux Klan. Let, let's do the Commissioner Gephardt last, only because that... The way, the way I see it is the stuff with the Klan is the dramatic climax to the film. Mm-hmm. The stuff with Gephardt is the comedic climax. I'd like okay. to save the comedic climax for last. Sure. So, as part of their doing kind of research on, on people in the Klan and the, these uh, haughty religious types, they, they catch them watching a stag film. Well, yeah, there's a rumor that all the city councilmen and uh, watch pornos in the basement of City Hall at night. Turns out that's true. And so they sneak in there and get a recording of all the city councilmen making lewd comments at this at this stag film. Uh, and it's and it's an, it's it's it is of its time. It's black and white. There's no audio. <laughs> right. They're watching it on a film projector because that's what you had to watch films on at that point. It's uh, Yeah. And, and, and one of the comments they even made is that they got the film from the Reverend. <laughs> yes. And, and and kind of a mirror of the tallywhacker scene from the first film. You get one here where the people are, um, the, the kids get caught with the stag, with the stag film and are called into the office. And they're the, it's, it's pretty funny, but the, the students are trying to explain, you know, it has some educational value or, did you see a different cut of this film? Because the one I saw, they they didn't get the stag film. They just made the recording of the comments in the the version I saw. No, but there was some scene where they have a film where they get chewed out in the principal's office, and they look at the reel of film, and the the principal is trying to say like, "Oh, this film has some value. I'll need to watch it myself." Huh? That is weird. The cut that I watched did not have that scene. Okay. Interesting. Um, hmm. Well, Strange it, discrepancy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyhow, so so with all that, they um, there is a climactic uh, sort of. Is it a? I, I forget. It's like some sort of big speech with the. Ku Klux uh, well, the Reverend, with, with the, the guy, the Reverend's having a revival. Is what, yes. is what it's called. And the so Ku- you know he's yes, and the KKK he's doing is there. His, He's doing his fire and brimstone, and yeah, the KKK is having a meeting nearby, and so um, the guys create a distraction so that one of their own, disguised as a member of the KKK, can get into the group and kind of replace the guy at the front of the marching order, and he says, well, we're going to take a shortcut to get to the meeting, and the shortcut takes them through the gym, and... The you know the guy the guys are there with John Henry talking about how they're gonna get some revenge and the the people the 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 Klansmen are like oh we're gonna kick your ass and then the lights come up and the entire seminal population of their town 
is lined up on the bleachers. They got the clan surrounded, and then the Jewish guy comes forward and explains. Like ex- they do this whole great bit where they're like they're explaining how circumcision works. But what they're going to do, since the clan was going to try to, among other things, shave John Henry's head because he's got this beautiful long hair. They're going to shave their heads, but with the tool, and forgive me because I forget, I forgot the, the name of it, the tool used in the circumcision, which probably would take forever, but this is a movie. It's part of the fantasy. <laughs> yeah, and, and seeing the, the, the KKK leaders sweat and try and make a deal, like, hey, we can just call it off, say this never happened. They're like, no, no, no. And, I mean, I wouldn't say the original Porky's had a huge amount of female nudity, but it had some. In this film, you have a whole lot of full frontal male nudity as the KKK members are buck naked running into uh, the um, the, the revival, revival like naked mole rats. Yeah, they're they're released into the revival after they're all shaved and stripped. Yes, yeah, there's more nudity in general, but while I would say there's twice the amount of female nudity, there is seven times the amount of male nudity. Right. It's. I I don't think you could get away with showing that much male nudity today in a movie because it's not. Although it's not in daylight, it you can see the uh, the meat and veg. Well, well, it's in a floodlit environment. Yeah, all, all the business is there. And so they get they get released into the revival. The reverend tries to turn things around because he recognizes some of them and is like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're sinners, but we're going to forgive them. Mm-hmm. Then they splice into his loudspeakers and they play the audio they recorded of all those lewd comments uh, from the stag film viewing party in the Capitol. Uh, and that – and what I love is that like everyone in the audience is like panicking and freaking out except this one little girl who's like, mother, honestly – that's <laughs> great it's a fun kind of moment of uh, embarrassment and comeuppance but it, it's not nearly I think as effective or, or, or funny nor is it meant to be as the, the cross cutting story with Wendy agreeing to go on a date with Gephardt outside city limits I think they're in Miami maybe they said or yeah he says it's it's Miami because mm. you know he because it's even pointed out by one of the other councilmen like that 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 girl is 17 he's like oh that's why we're going to Miami to, to, mm-hmm. to get you know away from away from the, the local papers anyone who could make it a scandal and I love how canny Wendy is so there's a scene where we see them like trying to make the perfect artificial vomit <laughs> so when Wendy shows up shows up to the restaurant she's wearing this ridiculous like star spangled outfit um with these it's 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 you just need to look this outfit up it's red white and blue it's got stars in all the wrong places or all the right but she also has this this tremendous chest which makes these sloshing sounds that that, you know what that fake vomit they've made or being carried in these artificial breasts and she shows up and is just the most brash boorish horrible dinner guest and is always making things clear. Oh yeah, I'm dating the city councilman. <laughs> We've been dating since we were 14. You know what? It's my birthday today. I turned 17 today. And like mm-hmm. everyone gets progressively more, more embarrassed and ashamed. And she keeps just like every dumb thing. She's like every horrible thing a person can do in the restaurant, she does in the biggest, loudest way that makes all the blame fall on the city councilman. And at one point, she's like, oh, no, I'm going to be sick. And she turns one of her breasts inside out and sprays the fake vomit all in this huge, elaborate fountain oh. that they have. And you even see the maitre d' like, oh, no, not the fountain, not the fountain. Oh, no. 
and it's just go, it goes it just goes crazy. And he's like, "Well, I'm gonna get my lawyer." And um, Pee Wee and another one of the guys come in, in in these nice suits, start taking pictures of the councilman and everything that's going on. And then head out singing the wonderful Wizard of Oz, and those are the pictures. Uh, so when when the climax finally happens, we cut to credits. All the gang gets together. They have a, effectively a barn dance. They have a good time. But over the credits, we see these little bits of aftermath, and among them, we see spinning newspapers about how the whole city council is is removed from office and scandalized that one guy's career is ruined. It's, it's absolutely great comeuppance. Yeah, and I mean, just the 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 voice that um, Wendy has, and she's knocking over plates and tables, and just saying like, "Oh, this cocktail isn't good enough." Sending stuff back to the kitchen, it, it's just a really good uh, turn, I, I think, for for that character, and uh, it, it it's just really pretty good. I it, I don't know. It, it it I think that works for me better than their comeuppance on the clan. There's something about the physical comedy that. Also, cross-cutting between the two makes it a bit overstuffed, I think, at the climax. It could use a bit more focus. Well, so Kaki Hunter is so good in this this scene. It really makes me wish she had gone on to do more physical comedy. Unfortunately, she has a very, very short filmography. She retired from acting early. Yeah, allegedly Porky's negatively affected the career of a lot of the people in these films, uh, with the exception of Kim Cattrall, who had that small part in the first one. Ooh, which there's even a callback to her, because when Balberker first has her, mm-hmm. like, freak out in the stall, we cut to those two coaches, like, huh, I thought we fired her. Yes, because she's making... Clearly is a reference to the whole Lassie thing. Oh, but if you want to know what Kaki Hunter's doing now, she recently published a book, uh, Earthbag Building, which is a guide to building homes and other structures from natural materials. Hmm. If you've ever seen, like, that natural home movement, it's all it's all part of that. Yeah, there's a natural home movement. I've also seen sort of a movement going on of what they call kind of micro-homes, where you build really tiny structures that basically just have... Like one room and a bathroom in there to uh, maximize use of space. There's, there's something to be said for compact living. Uh, I, I I think so. I think as, as land becomes more valuable and in certain cities as rent continues to skyrocket, cool. uh, you also are seeing you know micro apartments that have shared bathrooms, which makes me uh, gross me out. That a bit. sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. But well, here's a question. What do you think is worse? Shared bathroom or shared kitchen? Oh, Lord. I think shared kitchen would be worse. Well, especially with like... It's, it would, would the shared kitchen have shared bakeware and plates and all that? I guess it's everyone fends for themselves. I don't know. I mean, because the thing is with the shared kitchen, or at least when I lived in places with the shared kitchen, people won't do their dishes. Oh, yeah. It's nasty pretty quick. But um, but yeah, overall, I mean, Porky's 2, I would give a sequel no to. There's some amusing enough scenes, but this is not what I wanted or was expecting from a Porky sequel. <laughs> like, I... I don't... I guess I don't know... I, I guess I can't say what I expected, because it turns out I had seen this one before, at least the second half of it, hmm. in the 90s on uh, USA's Up All Night. Uh, so a lot of it I did recognize... I don't know. Like I was, I, I, I found myself kind of charmed by this movie. It has its charm, you know. At least it has a lot of the same cast. I'll give it that. In in that, it's a plot in in service of uh, 
against things like pedophilia and racism well, it's another, or something. It's another movie that like it doesn't it doesn't live up to the reputation that the Porky's movies have. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is something else entirely, but still has all that nudity and gross out humor. Right. And, um, you know, this movie was allegedly written in six weeks. Like they had a very mm. tight schedule to do this in. It came out just two years after the original uh, and, you know, striking when that iron was hot. So who knows? I think um, the the third movie we're going to discuss next time is called Porky's Revenge. So I think that might be more what I'm looking for. But what maybe Porky's will return and have revenge uh, of the Jedi. Yes, yeah, maybe could be. <laughs> well, you see, maybe Porky's is uh, it opens up a million strip clubs. I have no idea. Well, I guess I guess if, if we're if we're in that if we're in the final judgments area, I guess I got I've got to go sequel. Yes, this was interesting enough that I would still like to see where it could go. Right, um, and which uh, with with pitch a sequel, I had I had something in mind. I think because this one focuses on the Ku Klux Klan, uh, mine would be called Porky's Times Up, where the, the Porky's crew wakes up there, uh, you know, kind of going to the local makeout mountain kind of area, and uh, they they notice a kind of glowing portal, and and as, as they go into it, they're sucked back into time to when uh, the Ku Klux Klan is founded. And they they have to try and stop it from uh, stop the South from rising in that way. And there's a lot of fish out of water comedy, and they, they become these kind of moral uh, crusaders. And it would have uh, Scott Bakula in an extended sort of cameo as kind of a, with some winking quantum leap references. Yeah, was, even though it would have been before quantum leap had even aired. That's right. That's right. It, <laughs> It would set up the series. It would set up the series, and uh, with um, the, the the movie would end with them finding an, another portal, hoping to uh, to go home, it, except they end up in uh, in the heart of Africa, and and they see on the uh, on the shore a slave ship coming. Oh, good lord! And uh, and then it ends. So, so presumably, in another sequel, they would try to uh, end the uh, slave trade. That, that, that's right. And maybe in other ones, they would try to stave off uh, Caligula's rule in ancient Rome. I, I would turn it into a time travel, uh, time travel, uh, woke sex comedy. And that's the one that the animated series would be based on. And they'd have a little pig named Porky Jr. that would be their animal mascot. Because you got to have one of those. Yeah, we're Porkies. We're having a trip. We're Porkies. Some women might strip. It's Porkies. Going through time. Okay, we need to totally. Hey, work, it worked for the Fawns and the Happy Days gang animated series. We maybe we maybe we need to make this a real thing. Maybe God. Okay, what, what's your pitch of sequel? Well, my mine would be. I like this the next day thing, but doing the next next day, uh, I think is trite. So I'm going to do the previous day. It's going to be everything mm-hmm. that happened the day before the first film. So we're going to see the prank that starts off their prank war, which also involves getting all the guys naked and chased through a different environment. Only I think this environment will be the school itself. Uh, they'll end up streaking uh, the whole school. It'll be the it'll be 
the beginning of a uh, of uh, Balbricker turning against uh, turning against Pee Wee and the gang. Uh, we're gonna see we're gonna see the other person that Wendy had sex with. It's gonna turn out that encounter also happened the day before. Uh, and uh, because because I do want to continue, I do want to continue the idea of striking out against racism. Uh, in the previous day, they're going to go after they're going to go after people who uh, who are prejudiced against the Latin and Cuban community down in Florida. So we'll get some Cuban actors involved as well. So some of it take place in Miami, or you know what they might. You, you know what? Now that I think about it. If we presume that the first movie started on a on a Monday, the previous day could be Sunday. So yeah, they could uh, they could all go down to Miami for sort of a day trip after church. There you go. So very good. I think uh, yeah, Porky's two is not what I expected. I'll be very curious to see what what Porky's three is. Although by the time they did Porky's three, the character the actors are in their thirties. Uh, so. <laughs> There, there you go. It, it should be an, an interesting time. Um, but I, I do have a question for you, Thrasher. What you watching? So I watched a, uh, a cult film, and the whole reason I watched this is that my memory, because I had seen this before, and my memories of the film did not at all match up. I think I must have only seen the middle. So I watched George A. Romero's Night Riders. Have you ever heard of this film? Um, I know it has Ed Harris. I know it involves motorcycles, and it's a loose. It's some sort of an adaptation of the King Arthur uh, tales. Yeah. So what? It, so when I when this came up on a streaming service, uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, I love this movie. It's about uh, post-apocalyptic gangs that dress up like knights and and rob people." No, that's not what this movie is. That's my false memory based on I think only having seen the middle of this film on cable at three AM. But no, it's uh so it's set in nineteen eighty one, which is also when it was uh uh just after when it was filmed, and it's about a sort of a Renaissance fair troupe and their gimmick is that they re- they do jousts and mock battles, but they do it riding motorcycles instead of horses. And it's the kind of thing that's only believable if you're in that late 70s, early 80s era when daredevils were huge, like Evil Knievel. Huge enough to spawn their own parody genre, spearheaded by Super Dave Osborne, played by uh, the late, great Bob Einstein. Um, and this movie is actually a drama all about the tensions that happen within the troop um, as they're discovered by an agent who wants to take them to Vegas and make them the next big thing. But Tom Zavini's got a speaking part in it. It really... Like, it's a, it's a slow movie. It is a real slow burn. It is very, very long. It's 145... Or, it's, yeah, it's 145 minutes. But damned if it isn't fascinating that it just commits to this idea of renaissance fair people dressed up as knights on 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 motorcycle back beating the crap out of each other. So what do you say like the the costumes it being a, a renaissance fair sort of thing do they look appropriate do they look overdone? Well they look there's a whole there's a very there's lots of arthurian themes in this so the costumes lean on the fantasy side but it's kind of a grim dirty fantasy which does contrast nicely because when they get hooked up with the agent 
there's a scene where the agent they do a photo shoot with the revised costumes the agent has had his people come up with and they're like these garish glam rock versions of knights of knights armor mm. and i think uh, this movie sort of underperformed at the box office and like george romero did try a lot of different genres in his career and for better or worse, it seems to be when a director starts out with successful horror films, that's all people think they can do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I will say that it's it's not a great movie, but it is a valiant effort. And it's it's just fascinating to see Romero trying his hand at something else. And he wrote it and directed it. And I don't think I've ever seen Ed Harris have hair before in the movie. Yeah. Oh, and also there's this great uh, actor, uh, Brother Blue, who plays, quote unquote, Merlin the Wizard. They're, that's like the role he plays in their show. But he is also like he gives everybody advice. He's like a mentor to everybody and also knows like medicine. I think they imply he used to be a practicing doctor, but he lost his license. He's got a fascinating, uh, like a fascinating background. Like he was just like a local educator and storyteller. Uh, in the area that I guess Romero liked and, and cast him in the film. He made very few appearances in movies. Hmm. Um, but he's really good. Yeah, I believe George Romero said this is one of his personal favorites out of his filmography, so I will have to uh, check that out. That's one I've always been meaning to see. Um, I was feeling a bit under the weather yesterday, so I was watching some of a Ken Burns documentary on PBS called Country oh, yeah? Music. I've heard that's good. It is. And, you know, I don't know, I don't like country music, but I was sort of interested in it more for the historical aspects because I liked what I saw of uh, the uh, the jazz documentary Ken Burns did. And in this country music one, it, it really starts uh, way back with some really old record recordings and, and, and just to, to hear what the old voices used to sound like. And it, it sort of grew out of... Uh, a few people being coming on uh, radio stations that were owned by corporations or law firms as or insurance companies as a way to promote their business, and they would have music acts come on and do, uh, do uh, you know, you learn about the origin of the Grand Old Opry, that term. Um, you you learn about how originally it was referred to as um, hillbilly music, and uh a lot of talking to people like Dolly Parton you have a lot of really old um country musicians listening to these 1920s um uh, recordings and singing along and playing with it which is sort of neat and uh yeah i think it'll give me an, an appreciation uh historical or otherwise of the genre um you can you know if you if you make a, a PBS account which is free and you can link it to your facebook or whatever if you so desire uh, you can watch this stuff streaming on their website or on their app. Um, so, yeah, I, I would recommend it. it. It's not on the streaming services like Netflix yet, although I'm sure it'll come to there eventually in probably a year or so. But, yeah, the country music uh, Ken Burns miniseries is pretty good. And apparently uh, future stuff he has on his docket including uh, includes one about um, Hemingway and one about the history of American comedy. I have to check that out. The last, the last um, Ken Burns documentary I watched was the Prohibition documentary, which was fantastic. Yeah, and how how a lot of it's tied up with the the women's uh, movements. I thought it was interesting. You know, unlikely allies out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So, um, yeah, next time we'll be talking about Porky's Revenge. Um, do you have a, a book coming out, Thrasher? Or um, Not at... Uh, I can't talk about... I actually just signed a deal for a book, which unfortunately I probably won't be able to talk about for another month and a half. Uh, so nothing, nothing new coming out, just kind of finishing up my contributions for the new edition of uh, City Builder mm. from Skirmisher Publishing. But if you go to drive through RPG, you can find a lot of works. Over yeah, there. That, that would be the most convenient place uh, to, to look for things that I'm credited on. Mm. Although, due to I and I keep trying to correct this, I am credited under several different variations of my name, so it's very difficult to just find all the stuff I've contributed to on that site. Have you thought about having like an author website, or do you think that wouldn't be useful? Um, I actually, it's something I it's something I need to set up. Frankly, I just uh, so, you know if you want to, if the sound quality sounds different, it's because I just moved and we're still setting up the new place. So right now, it's I'm just too busy to get that off the ground. But one day, perhaps in time. Yeah, you can you can't see this, listeners, but I'm looking at Will and his webcam, and you can see all sorts of boxes behind him and so forth. Uh, and I'm sure they're affecting the acoustics. <laughs> yep. Um, so you, with me, uh, I just came out with a book, The Films of Uwe Boll, Volume 1, The Video Game Movies. And, nice. Uh, there, there's a print and a Kindle and an audiobook version. Um, so uh, the audiobook was done by a fellow named, named Jonas uh, out of England who actually contacted us when uh, we, we posted the job on Audible because he's a Uwe Boll fan, and he did a great job uh, with the, the audiobook. Um, but any version you get, I would appreciate Uh I have a link in the show notes. And yeah, so, um, but we have our sequel scene to do. And uh, why don't you set this up, Thrasher? All right, so this scene, uh, this is uh, when, uh, this is after uh, the gang has decided to get some revenge on Balbricker for siding with the Moral Crusaders trying to ban Shakespeare. So this is this is the whole sequence of events where they bring out the blueprints of the school, get a snake, and make preparations to run the snake up the pipe into Balbricker's stall. So do you want to be a Billy or Tommy? Um, I'll do Tommy. Alrighty. Uh, what's this? Blueprints. Yeah, I know they're blueprints. What are they of? Take a look. Okay, here, the school. Tommy pulls out a metal container, opens it, and pulls the snake out of it. Oh, okay, so this is the gym. Right. So, so now what? Tommy puts the snake in his view. So we take the snake. Throws down the blueprints, backs up frantically screaming, Jesus Christ! What the hell are you doing? Get that out of my face! You don't like snakes. I hate snakes. You, you know I hate snakes. Jesus! What are you going to do? Kill her? Puts the snake back. No, it's just a rat snake. It's not poisonous. Yeah. Now, we switched roles halfway through. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You got to press forward. That's what we learned from acting in Shakespeare. That's right. And maybe, uh, maybe next episode we'll hear from Shecky Spielberg, Boyg, about um, <laughs> what he, his thoughts on uh, his knockoff of the Porky's uh, series. Yeah, which I think was called like Bacons or something like that. Um. Yeah, I, I think he... Yeah, we'll have to find out more of the details next time. Um, Tune in next week. And who knows, maybe Slimer will be there too. 
I have to ask, Thrasher, I'm looking at this poster for Porky's 2. What do you think of the choice of having the eyeball in the middle of the O in the title? I mean, I guess you got to have that reference. And yet, you know, it's funny with all the things you could put on the poster, the clan, the revival, the the, the messed up fancy restaurant, uh the the shake the people in costume for Shakespeare, the fact that it's it's interesting that they center it around the the toilet stall scene, but I guess the I and the O it's just for that reference to the first film, which admittedly we do see uh, in that highlight reel at the beginning. Yeah, it's um, and yet in the movie itself, in the credits, like Porky's two the next day is this like rainbow day glow. A swirly kind of font that doesn't really match the the film. Well, that was a crack that I even made. Like, oh look, they've already got a new sign set up. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what they were. It's a very that. '70s looking sign. Now that uh-huh. I think about it, and, and I do like that this uh, was was directed and, and co-written by Bob Clark at the same time, and uh, he did not, however, do the the third film. I think he just produced it. So we'll see if that makes a, a difference with the hijinks. On screen, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. The theme song to the show is done by Mark with a C. Uh, check out his music at markwithac.bandcamp.com. Yeah, and, uh, and other than that, check us out at, was it Sequelcast2.com? Sequelcast2.com. Um, leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, all of that helps with the rankings and the downloads and, and all that magic stuff. Uh, and you can listen to us on Stitcher. Just look for us on Stitcher.com. Help us game that algorithm. That's right. So uh, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Jane. And the Lord opened her womb. And out of it came a tallywhacker <laughs> like the world had never seen. It was tallying oh. and it was whacking. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's the sequel cast promise. If there is a tally, it will get whacked. See you later, alligator.